Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. I'm Blaine Gilmer. Welcome to Southeastern 14 Daily Coverage of the SEC, the best conference in all of college sports. And we are here as we will be each week in football season with a very special guest. It is none other than Jake Crane of the Daily Wire. Jake, back once again with us. Episode two of Jake's Take on Southeastern 14. Man, uh, enjoyed chopping it up last week, and now we are that much closer. We actually got games this week, Jake. It's it's week zero. Yeah, look, I, I don't care, you know, if your wife just left you, if you're you're down in the dumps, however you're feeling. Uh, we have college football this weekend. Uh, I don't care if it was, you know, the the Helen Keller School of the Blind and Deaf versus Bishop Sycamore. Uh, at the end of the day, we have kickoff, and I could not be more excited. Uh, some some sneaky good matchups, I think, this weekend. Uh, but no, man, I mean, I mean, it's here. We've waited. Uh, we're a couple sleeps away, not one sleep away. And uh, shoot, I, I'm going to bed right after this. Absolutely, absolutely. Getting getting close to it. Uh, real quick, just I mean, since they're the only SEC school playing, well, you think you think Vandy's going to represent and just uh, blow Hawaii out, uh, blow that run and shoot out when they come to Nashville? Man, you know they ran through them like a finish line last year, but it's a different year. I, I'm looking at that spread. I mean, it's it's gone down. It was at 18 and a half, then down to 17 and a half, then down to 17. I just want to know what Robert De Niro and all those people out there know that I don't. But I, I look at the matchup. I look at the personnel. Obviously, starting up front with what Vanderbilt returns on both sides of the ball, I think they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I like the Swan kid at quarterback. Uh, they have a couple weapons outside. The Shepherd kid's a really good player. Hawaii's going to try and sling it around. I mean, Timmy Chang's their coach. That, that's what they're going to do. Uh, I just feel like there's going to be a couple turnovers early. Vanderbilt's going to get that momentum. Uh, and I like Vandy to cover the 17. Yeah, Vandy very sneakily getting more and more athletic on that roster. Uh, Barton Simmons and company doing a really good job of finding some talent to, to bring in there. So that is uh, the SEC action that we have this week. But, Jake, as we do, we're going to get your opinions on a variety of topics, and we have our takes over here on the ride. And I want to know if Alabama is unable to return to the college football playoff to make the four this year, I know they're going to 12 next year, but if Alabama is unable to make it back to the CFP, what does that mean for the the landscape of college football, for the future of, of Alabama? Is it just a continued, hey, they're just one year away, or is this a sign of a more steep decline for Alabama? You know, I, I think the standard's so high at Alabama, it's amazing they go a couple of years without making the playoff, and you, know, you hear people say, oh, the dynasty's dead, Nick Saban's done. Now, look, Alabama doesn't have the monopoly on the line of scrimmage that they had for a while under Nick Saban when he built Alabama up. You know, you see them this year to me, uh, and I've talked about this on multiple occasions, I think the spectrum of results could be anywhere from 9-3 and three to 12-0. and 0. I mean, would you really be shocked 
if Alabama went out there and went 12 and 0, would you really be absolutely blown out of the water if they went 9 and 3? You're breaking in a new quarterback. If Latham doesn't kick over to left tackle, you're going to have somebody with zero starts there. Even though they recruited an unbelievably high level, that still takes a little bit of time. You're having to replace some other parts up front. Obviously, Bryce Young's gone. The quarterback battle now we're hearing may go into at least week two against Texas. There's more unknowns right now when it comes down to Alabama than there has been in a while. And uh, I think it would be more of a transitory thing. They're changing their scheme and trying to get that identity back to the bully ball old A.J. McCarron, Jacob Coker days of let's get in 12 personnel and play a game of, of let's let's play physics and just be better than you up front. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think it's a panic if they don't make it. This year, I don't expect them making it. Uh, we're actually releasing our predictions on Crane & Company. Uh, the SEC predictions are our final four for college football, then our national champion in Heisman winner Friday. Uh, so you'll know kind of where I stand on Alabama after that. But I don't think there's any time to panic. To be honest with you, it would almost be better for the rest of college football if Nick Saban then went undefeated and then he won the Natty and then retired. Wow. Like at some point, because uh, I think the longer he goes without finishing on the mountaintop, the longer he stays. And if you know Nick Saban, one of the most underrated qualities and one of the many reasons why he is the greatest of all time is even when he gets to the top, he's malleable. He can adjust with the game. We saw him complain about the hurry up, no huddle offense. Then what does he do? Goes and gets the best guys in the world at running at it. Uh, not afraid to throw it around, be a little bit more adventurous, a little more experimental on offense. Uh, and then we saw what they did in, in 2020, obviously, in the offenses they put out in the field. So, look, I, I'm never going to panic if Nick Saban's my head coach. But when the standard is that high, when a championship is expected every year, when you're not expected to, to rebuild, you're expected to reload and dominate, that's, that's how it's going to be, And whether that's fans, whether that's media. But, no, I, I, I don't think it's a symptom of a bigger problem. Because they got, I mean, that sand kid they have coming in to play quarterback, he might as well be super sand. Yeah, and he, he's he's tough uh, for sure. He's a good quarterback out of Carlsbad, California, out there. But speaking of the recruiting element of things, you know, I used to used to cover recruiting for rivals and and would talk to a lot of a lot of prospects and things. I had more than one Alabama prospect being recruited by Satan Saban tell me, uh, Jake, that. The deal with ESPN and Saban is done, inked. Whenever he wants to go and do it, he can go do it. Um, is kind of what has been intimated to them. But he said he's been telling them, hey, I want to win another championship. Where do you think that tipping point is? Do you think he stays for until he just absolutely gets one? Or do you think if he doesn't get another championship in the next couple of years, him and Miss Terry are going to go say, hey, that big house we just bought down there in Florida, we, we're going to go, we're going to do that. Yeah, well, look, I, I think I think it's whatever Miss Terry says, honestly. Um, especially now that I've been married for a couple months, it's really all starting to make a lot of sense. Here's what I think. I, I, I think Nick Saban is one of the most competitive human beings on the planet. If you look at his routine, the way he goes about things, the shape he keeps himself in at that age, the, the kind of the wholesome approach that he takes to the coaching realm, obviously he wants to go out on top. But I do think Nick Saban, if he feels like he can't be as effective as he usually is, I do think he'd step away. Now, do I think that's going to be the case? No. I, that ESPN gig is going to be there for as long as he wants it. He has all the leverage. They're not telling him when to pull the plug on his coaching career. That's a decision he'll make, and they'll be there waiting for him. So I, I do think it's going to take a championship or Miss Terry to tell him, hey, it's over. And look, that could come this year. It could come in two years. 
But Nick Saban, I don't think, has lost any steam. But the minute he feels like he can't be the guy that he's always been, that's when he'll step away. And, again, I want to make it clear, I think Alabama's going to be really good this year. And I think it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It's, you know, it's going to be them and LSU kind of vying for that spot. And that's just kind of splitting hairs when it, when you, when you talk about it, a bounce a ball type thing. Uh, but that game is in Tuscaloosa this year. So we'll see how that all plays out. Now, Jake, I want to go from one end of the iron bowl to the other uh, and talk about Auburn in 2023. Uh, of course, something that's uh, near and dear to you, but I want to know, in year one, Hugh Freeze era, there's already tremendous excitement. There's already been tremendous success in terms of getting commits and flipping commits from uh, high-profile commits from rivals like Georgia and rivals like Alabama for Hugh Freeze and company there, that Auburn staff. But what does on-the-field success look like in year one? What is realistic and what makes this a su- successful year for Auburn? Well, you know, I, I think this the, there's multiple ways to look at it, but it's kind of a, of a, a multi-dimensional situation, right? I, I think one thing that makes Auburn dangerous and and has shown you, and, and not lately against Georgia, but one of the reasons Auburn can run with Bama and run with Georgia and be kind of more consistent against these teams is that you know the standard at Auburn is is very high. I mean, you could say it's it's borderline unrealistic, but the minute that standard gets lowered, you have a loss. You have no chance. You're already fighting uphill at Auburn. You're not the state school like Alabama or Georgia. And it just happened that we happen to be in a time where Georgia's operating at its highest peak as Alabama just got done operating at their highest peak, as, as I can remember, and obviously since I've been alive. But, you know, I, I think when it comes down to being realistic, especially year one with a new coaching staff after the Harson hostage crisis for the last couple of years is, is finally over. Um, I, to me, I, I, eight and four. And above, obviously, would be fantastic. I think this team's ceiling, if everything went right, best case scenario, they could go nine and three. I think it falls on eight and four or seven and five. I think if it's going to be seven and five or even the four, which I think is six and six, it needs to be the right seven and five or the right six and six. I mean, you look at the non-conference, right? You Cal's the, the toughest team you play, and you should win that game on the road, even though Justin Wilcox has been there forever. So if you could go four and zero in the non-conference, if you could beat the Mississippi schools at home, which Auburn has, has been pretty consistent against the Mississippi schools at home, there's six right there. You beat Vanderbilt on the road, there's seven. And then the question becomes, can you split one of at A&M or Arkansas or Georgia and Alabama? Now, I don't think Auburn has the cats right now in the depth to run with Georgia. That Auburn-Alabama game, that Iron Bowl rivalry, we, we've seen crazy things happen. And I think this roster at Auburn on the offensive line has probably been where Hugh Freeze has done his best work. That gives you at least a chance. We'll see how good the pass rush is. That's the biggest question I have for Auburn uh, when it comes down to what's going to make the difference maybe in those couple of wins. And we're just going to have to wait to see when new uh, defensive coordinator Ron Roberts. But what it would mean was if you could go the right 7-5 and five, or 8-4, and four, look, all this talking is great. Right, you sit the guys down. Hey, this is what we're gonna build here. Auburn's gonna be back to where you know scary Auburn was, dark Auburn was. Uh, but until they see it on the field, until you, with all the NIL stuff, right? Until they see it on the field, it's gonna be very hard to sell it over time. So if you can continue to show progress, you get to that eight win mark. You get to that right seven and five win mark with that new facility, right? When Auburn is all aligned behind each other. 
then I think you can really keep this momentum that we've seen preseason, you know, in recruiting, flipping Riddick, flipping Perry Thompson, you know, getting the guy, getting the TJ Lindsay's, looking like you're getting the Drake Carters. Uh, Cam Franklin's still out there, even though he committed to Ole Miss. That vindicates a lot of the stuff that you were saying when you took over the job. So, it, number one, you never want to water down the standard. You never want to be just happy with seven and five or eight and four. But in that same vein, you can be realistic and see what's getting built. And, and that, that lemonade tastes a lot different when you go eight and four or seven and five in that first year compared to year three or year four. And you just got to look at the schedule, too. Like, in, it, it's a little bit of a bad break uh, for Hugh Freeze year one here because they got to go to Kyle Field. They got to go to Baton Rouge. Uh, and oh, by the way, we're going to sandwich Georgia in between those two games. Plus, you have a bye week. But. Uh, I put my schedule game by game schedule prediction video out on Southeastern 14 uh, today as we're recording this. I got Auburn winning the first three, and then I got them losing three in a row to Texas A&M, Georgia, and LSU. But then I got them getting hot and finishing out the rest of the year with only one loss uh, after, and that would be uh, that would be actually I got them winning out. I think because I got a uh, one uh, one loss because they're eight and four on the year, but I got them winning the Iron Bowl. Dude, I mean, because, you got the exact same, bro. We got the exact same. That's exactly how I have it. That's exactly how I see it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about at Arkansas Auburn. was the loss. At Arkansas, yeah, I think that's, that's what tough. I got. That's what I got. Um, here's the thing about Auburn. The schedule is always going to suck. Congrats, you're at Auburn. Like that's why when you know the, they have the three permanent rivals. Obviously, it's going to be Georgia. It's going to be Bama. So I mean, damn, that's that's a horrible start. Got to got to give Auburn Vandy. Right? That's the only way. But you're, you still play LSU, right? So Auburn's schedule, I look at it as, I look at it like this. Rotor home against Georgia and Bama. That's going to be because every year, you know, it's not like, hey, you play one yeah. on the road, you play one at home. It's you're either going to Athens and Tuscaloosa or you get them both at home. So if you're able to sneak one year two, that does make it tough. Obviously, you would get LSU at home. Now, we got to see the schedules. Uh, obviously, in the way it works out, if there's any shifting there. But, um, yeah, at Auburn, man, it's, the schedule always sucks, like, just to be honest with you. It's, I'm so used to it now. Yeah, I was going to ask, does this job in 2024 become go from the hardest job in America, which I think Auburn is right now. I think Auburn is the hardest jo- college football job in America because of having to play Georgia every year, being in the SEC West year in and year out. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculously tough, and the and the reasons yeah. you mentioned the recruiting battles. But does that does this job become a significantly even better job for Hugh Freeze in year two of his tenure? Because now, yes, you're still going to have to play the permanent rivals, but some of those other teams are going to get mixed around a little bit, yeah. uh, and and now, hey, maybe maybe everybody else is having to catch the brunt of that a little bit more too in the conference. Yeah, well, if you look at Auburn's, excuse me, if you look at Auburn's schedule in 2024, I mean, I mean, I think they caught a break uh, with it. When you look at some of the other teams' schedules, it's going to be a breath of fresh air. But I'll say this, Blaine, and this is what I've said about the the new scheduling format with no divisions. I love it. I've been saying this for five years because the whole point of a conference championship is to get the two best teams in the conference to play each other. There's no such thing as an even schedule where everybody plays the same difficulty level of a schedule. That doesn't exist. Teams go up and down. The whole point of scheduling is you keep the top rivalries there. You have to, right? It's smart from a branding standpoint, tradition standpoint, financial and monetary standpoint. And and then 
you can play everybody at home and on the road in a four-year career. That's the, that should be the whole goal. That's the whole point. And I always hear people say, oh, well, these, and I call them periphery rivalries, the rivalries that aren't as big as the biggest one, but are still important. You still play those teams every now and then. It's not like you never play them again, right? It's not like, you know, Georgia doesn't play Ole Miss for 30 years or something like that. But they talk about the rivalries that are lost. How about the ones that are created? Think about all the rivalries that are going to be created by this. Now that you have to play everybody home and away through a four-year schedule. So we always and, – and I think that's a natural human-like reaction. You think about the things you lost, not the things that you can gain in, in most situations. So I like it. There's a reason everybody's going to it. Look at the Big Ten right now. Look at the Big Ten West compared to the Big Ten East. We've seen this in the SEC where one side's been way better than the other. The top three teams in the Big Ten are all in the same division. Like it just, yeah. it's better in the long run, and I think it is the most even way to do it in a world where nobody's schedule will ever be even across the board. Oh yeah, but my point is, is if if let's say Auburn does get those eight wins that you and I both think they'll get this year, the momentum that could carry for recruiting, and then plus the benefit that we're talking about, how they're catching a little bit of a break in twenty four, and the schedule gets a little bit easier with that momentum behind them. Man, I think I think Hugh Freeze could be off to a hot start. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see they, how it goes. They beat Bama Blaine. There won't be enough toilet paper in the southeast. There won't be. There'll be a there'll be a a paper shortage, a TP shortage, which is horrifying if you really think about it. Yeah, uh, Jeff Foxworthy had the old joke. He he was watching on the the rainforest, and he said it. The rainforest is being depleted by so much paper, and he goes, "It's us. We use too much TP." Because he's got five girls at home. Hilarious stuff, yeah. Jeff. Foxworth. Good stuff the there. <laughs> Heupel's offense at Tennessee is the third one. I, you know, am intrigued by this because you, as a football coach, a purist, you're going to get what I'm about to say. Some people will raise their eyebrow like the rock when I say this, but at its purest form, in certain in certain elements of it. It's triple option football, but slinging it through the air. You you see what I'm saying? Because you're yeah. spreading guys out, making them choose. Okay, you're going to take away the dive, or you're going to take away this over here. Uh, you know, when we stretch it on the other side of the field. Of course, they have the vertical game to it, but with the with the wide spread, the wide splits that they have with the receivers, um, the tempo, all this kind of stuff. Is this thing a gimmick that is going to be figured out in a couple years when it comes to these SEC coaches? Or is this something that can be sustained at Rocky Top for years to come? Or is it just a cyclical thing based on what players you have? You know, I, I think that the term gimmick to me, I always laugh because, like, when you hear gimmick, I feel like a lot of people use that term when something's working that's different than what they're used to seeing. I mean, I heard it with Gus Miles on all the time. Oh, look at all the gimmicks he's running. Well, it worked for a long time. Defenses always catch up. Right in, in every sport, in basketball, in baseball, in football, defenses eventually, and that doesn't mean they catch up all the way, but they adjust to a point where they can combat it. But here's the thing: Josh Heupel has mixed the Art Briles splits, what what he kind of started in that revolution of changing the alignment, messing with the dividers of the DB, because if you change alignment, you change spacing. If you change spacing, you change the norm of how they're used to lining up against certain formations kind of throws a wrench in it, right? It's like a guy that throws a 94-mile-per-hour slider. Good luck. Like, it's just yeah. tough. But he mixed that with, obviously, the tempo and then the true purest form of an RPO. Now, what what, what I always say, the, the hardest part about figuring out is you know what they're doing. 
But there's yeah. not a great answer because you can't play with 12 guys. Say, and, and I always laugh because people say, oh, the, well, Josh Heupel runs fast to wear the defense out, to get him tired. That's not the main reason you do it. That's one of the best side effects of it, right? That, that's great that you can, you can do that. Not only that, but it gets your defense when you're, when you're going through spring and you're going through summer stuff and you're going through fall camp. It gets them in even better shape. But the main point of it is it's going so fast, you don't have time to adjust or disguise things. And a lot of times it's going so fast that it catches you in base. That's all you can do. You can't sit here and say, all right, we're going to do this and then roll to this. You don't have time. They're going at warp speed. So if I know what you're in, and I know you can only have a couple adjustments to it, right? It's a battle between how many different plays can Josh Heupel and them on offense run at that warp speed, and how many different coverages and fronts and movements and alignments can you have to combat it? Well, when you're going that fast, it's hard to communicate that. The offense is at a huge advantage. So if I know you're in base a ton, it's almost predetermined where I'm going to go with the ball. But since it's an RPO action and you have to defend both, you can't just sell out against the run because they can always pull it and pop it. You can't just lighten up the box because they can always hand it off or the quarterback can keep it. It's like all of the alternatives. It's like if they mix like hippie music with yodeling and, you know, like the harmonica, like all together. It's, that's what makes it dangerous. So what's your answer to it? Uh, try and put in as much as you possibly can. Okay, that looks great on paper. That's great during practice. But when you go in the game and they're going faster than Captain Kirk and the guys in the Star Trek shit when they hit a wormhole, you don't have time to be doing all this stuff. You know, you're going to look like you're just going nuts over there, like you're trying to land a plane that's out of control. So if you, that's not the way to attack it. You can't sit here and say, well, you know what? We're just going to guess. How about we just guess every play? That's never going to work, especially when you can make adjustments mid-play. So catching up to it is really hard because there's not a great answer for it. You know what you got to do? You got to tackle in space. You got to you got to you got to make the what you got to try and take away matchups on the outside and you better hope that you're playing fundamental football cuz that's what it does. It's a game of blocking and tackling and it makes you have to to get off blocks and tackle well in space. That's why and he keeps evolving it, right? Everybody has tendencies well, I get in this personnel grouping, we're on the left hash, we're in this formation, 58% of the time we run this. The offense sees that too. So Hypel, being the witch that he is, has counters off of that and evolves with it. So it's like you're a dog chasing a car. Like you're just chasing it and chasing it. What are you going to do when you get there? There's no great answer. You better just ta- you better make one-on-one tackles. You better get your ass off blocks. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and you mentioned the purest form of the RPO. The, what I like to describe to people, the RPO, when you're talking about, okay, the quarterback having the option to throw a route in behind a guy based on alignment or based on his movement or be able to still, they could actually have a couple options off the run game. They could have the run game to the running back or the quarterback keep it himself. That's why I call it the new triple option, really, so to it speak, because you got the pass, which is really the equivalent of the, the old pitch in the old it's option. Like it's the triple option, like the way that Navy and, and Army and all them run it. It's like the the girl the, the the girl who lost like sixty pounds over the summer going into your yeah. senior year of high school. It's like the newer, better version of that. Like that's exactly. what it is. You just got the shot and got it. Now you can throw the ball off of it. Even against the triple option, the way that Navy and them do it, you know they're going to run it eighty percent of the time. But they can run it in three different in three different places, so it's still hard to defend. So now getting the shotgun and have the ability to throw it, you got it. Who are you going to double? Like, like, and add, just, and add tempo like to it. 
and add tempo to it. That's what I'm saying. It's like all the different genres. It's like if you put black-eyed peas next to next to shrimp fried rice and like crab wontons with spaghetti. Like it's just everything together. It's that's what he did. It's like a charcuterie board of confusion. Oh man. Uh, now I think where you beat this is in in the off season on the recruiting trail. That's where you have to beat. You have to get dudes that are better than their dudes, and that's why Georgia was able to shut them down last year because Georgia could play the run, which people have a misconception. Heupel wants to run the football. That is what it's he a wants to do. Offense. That's exactly. Yeah, he what wants to run the football, and Georgia was able to stop the run with lesser or equal numbers in the box, and because they could do that, then then Tennessee couldn't do what they wanted to do. It's like it's Jimson, it's Jimson Joe's, right? It's Jimson Joe's. It's a, there's been so many great football minds and great coaches that look like idiots because the other team had better players. There's been a lot of coaches that are very average that look like Einstein and Oppenheimer hanging out by the pond because they had better players than the other team. Like players win games, players win games while coaches watch and talk about it, right? So that's why I say if I would rather have a guy that is an incredible recruiter and a CEO type coach that knows how to hire good guys schematically than some wizard schematically who can't recruit. Because again, I can be the best driver in the world, but if I don't have a great car, I'm not winning the race. That's how this game, that's why, again, recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. Three pillars, right? Recruiting, development, and culture. Those are the three things that wins. That's why there's not just one system that everybody runs because it's the best system. That's why you see a smorgasbord. Yes, I did use, find a way to work that word in. A smorgasbord of different styles that win national championships. And that's what makes it fun. It's about the players. Yeah, if you, you smorgasbord and had crab wontons in here all in, uh, in about a Welcome couple minutes. Welcome to it. That's it. Welcome to it. <laughs> that's it. That is good stuff. Now, listen, uh, I think going forward with Tennessee, and you tell me, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think that it's going to have a higher floor than they've had, obviously, in the down years. But the ceiling is totally going to be dependent on that on that trigger man because you know they're going to get they're going to get some things that are open and when we say open jake in the sec it doesn't always mean wide open like yeah. like jalen hyatt was last year people need to understand sometimes that's going to be a couple of steps and can joe milton be as accurate on those couple of step throws as hinden hooker was last year i think that kind of stuff and then going forward nico uh I am a Leva. I think it's how you pronounce it. I'm not a hundred percent. Look, you straight. got you nailed it. I think I just call him Nico. But Nico going on forward after that, I think that is going to be the separator of okay. Does Tennessee really become that prime time contender that can that can make it to the playoff, or are they just a really good football team? Yeah. Look, it, and and we kind of have a category. We came up with a category for this. I, I call them hinge players. Right? I think Joe Milton's one of them. I think Drew Aller at Penn State's one of them. I think Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin is one of them. Hell, I think USC's whole defense is yeah. one of them. It's that if this player or this group plays good, the team around them is good enough to really make a run at a championship. It, one of the things I don't think people talk about enough with Tennessee because the system and, and obviously the quarterback gets all, all the prep is how much better they've gotten up front. I don't care what system you run. 
If it's the Navy triple option, if it's the Air Raid, if it's Josh Heupel, if it's Luke Fickle, at the end of the day, the quickest way to bridge the gap to the teams at the top is up front. This game will always, from Friday night tykes all the way up to Monday night football, this game is won and lost up front, and it always will be won and lost up front. I think Tennessee's done a really good job of not just having a good starting five, not just having a good starting four down D lineman, right, or a jack, whatever you want to call them, but it's adding depth. That's how you bridge the gap in a game that is a battle of attrition. But when it comes to Joe Milton, if with having George at home, I know they go to Bama, all right, but having George at home, if Joe Milton can just be accurate enough, he'd have to be Dan Marino or Drew Brees or Hawkeye from the Avengers. He just has to be able to keep the ball in the strike zone. He's got to be able to have nuance and touch and be able to throw the changeup. That's why whenever it's like, oh, my gosh. Joe Milton can throw it 90 yards and hit a golf cart at the Manning Passing game. That's great. That's that's great. But Joe Milton's always had a strong arm. It's one of the reasons he had all those scholarship offers. That's not the question with Joe Milton. Does he have nuance? That's why it's called passing and not throwing. Because if he does, Tennessee's offense around him and that team around him is good enough to really do some damage and make a run at that thing. But I'll tell you this. It needs to go good early. Because there is nothing that causes more problems than having a guy that's lost the job twice. Play bad early when you got the future just sitting. You got Deadpool just sitting over there doing jumping jacks on the sidelines. Nobody's more popular. You know the only person that's that's more popular than the backup quarterback? It's the five-star backup quarterback. So it, it it could snowball if it doesn't go good. And how about that guy is being promised, you know, several million dollars by some big time, uh, you know, boosters yeah. over there. They're like, Hey, we do have this guy that we're investing in. So that's been my point. We'll see how it all goes. Jake, thanks for jumping on with us for episode two of Jake's takes. Tell everybody where they can catch you if they don't already on crane and company each and every morning. First off, man, love hopping on love that the season's here. Like I said, listen, Maybe, maybe, you know, school just started. You made a bad grade on the first test. Like I said, your girl broke up with you or something. That's fine. It's college football this weekend. You can't hurt me right now. All right? Number one, you can't kill what's already dead inside, but you can't hurt me right now. But if you haven't seen our show, go over to YouTube. After you've already been subscribed here, obviously, grow up uh, if you're not. But head over to Crane & Company, C-R-A-I-N-N Company. We're less than 2,000 subs away from 100,000. Uh, so go over there and subscribe, but you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, all that great stuff. And then on the daily wire plus, uh, also we're on Twitter X or whatever it's called this week, uh, at crane company. I'm Jake crane underscore. Go check us out, man. We're live each weekday morning, 7 30 AM Eastern to 9 AM Eastern. Blaine, they keep telling me I got to say times in Eastern time, not central time. And it throws me off, but we have, we have live calls, a live chat. If you like sports the way it used to be uh, sports talk, at least come hang out with us. Absolutely. You can see Jake's handle there right on the screen. And also it's listed down at the bottom of Crane and Company on Daily Wire. Thank you so much for joining us here on Southeastern 14. We'll be back with episode three of Jake's Takes on Southeastern 14. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and we will catch you guys next time to talk more SEC ball on your home for daily SEC coverage, Southeastern 14. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.